Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, let me invite you, let's take the Word of God. Open the Word of God and turn in the Word of God to Mark chapter 2. We have been walking through Mark chapter 1, stopped about three times there, and now we're coming here to Mark chapter 2 to a very pivotal moment again as Jesus has gone public. And one of the biggest challenges that, that we're going to see here today, one of the biggest questions that all of us will face as we consider our text this morning is this, who can fix everything that I've messed up because of my sin? Right? Who in the world can put back together all that I've torn apart? Who in the world can redeem all that I have allowed? Who in the world can, can piece back together the mess that I've made of not only my life but of someone else? Who can fix everything that my sin has damaged? And so we come this morning thinking about all the messes that we have. Maybe you're in the middle of a mess right now with your marriage, a mess right now with your kids, a mess right now with a personal decision or a workplace decision. And the question that again comes to us is who in the world can clean it all up? Who in the world can even forgive me? And who in the world can make me right? And what we're going to see in Mark this morning, in Mark 2, is he answers that question by showing us that every single one of us needs forgiveness of our sin. That's the very first thing that we're going to see. Every single one of us in this room, because of our sin, we need forgiveness for our sin. We all need forgiveness. And that the second thing is this, only Jesus has the power to do it. Only Jesus has the power to clean your life. Only Jesus has the power to mend your life. Only Jesus has the power to redeem your life. Jesus can do what nothing and no one else can do. He can forgive you, he can heal you, and he can change you. And as we see in the very literal sense this morning in the text, you can walk out of here different than how you walked in. So let's stand for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 2 this morning. And it says in the word of God, And he returned to Capernaum, after some days. Remember, he had gone out into the wilderness. He couldn't really come into town because of his name and his fame, that he was a miracle worker. People kept gathering, and, and he wasn't able to come in and do effective ministry in town, but had to stay out. It was now reported, the word spread, that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And so the people are just filled up right there listening to Jesus, and he was preaching the word to them. Again, you're seeing how effective that Jesus, his ministry was preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel of repentance. Preaching the good news that he came to save sinners. And they came, people, these four friends, came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, why? Because of the crowd, they removed, what they did is they removed the roof above him. And when they had an op made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So they come to the house it's jam-packed. They go on top of the roof. They, they go up the stairs. They go on top of the roof, and they let open the roof, and they lay this man down in the middle of Jesus' teaching. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who? Here's that question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in a spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? 
And that, that would be a wake-up call right there, right? You would think, how does he know what I'm thinking? How does he know I question this in my heart? How, how would he know? And, and so they, they should have this inkling here to be like, whoa, what's going on here? But he says and goes on, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has what? Authority. Authority over sin, authority over the sinner, authority over all things, and Satan. He says, man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to use it as we submit to his authority. Father, we come before you willing to, Lord, sit under the authority of your word, and we ask in the name of Jesus that your eternal word will be written on our hearts. Father, we ask that what we do not, do not know, you teach us. What we do not have, God, now give us, and who we are not, God, would you make us as you call, as you convict, and as you change, may we commit. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things, and God's church says today, amen. Amen. As you find your seat, let me invite you, encourage you, you can Use your Mark Scripture journal, if you have one of those. If you don't, just use the backside of the worship guide. We're going to walk together through the Word as we do each week. We're going to plug in some things as we go along as well. You know you're in a hopeless situation when you can't get out of the situation by yourself. Have you ever been there where you're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know who in the world I can call. You know, and there's moments of, of those panical moments where you're like, I, I'm in a hopeless situation because I can't get out of this all by myself. And whatever it may be, we are easily held hostage by something that will often paralyze us. Whether it's paralysis by analysis or it's just you're paralyzed by pure fear, it leaves us often like this man, very disabled. And that's the man that we meet a grown man who can't even stand on his own two feet, living and lying and waiting on something to change. But what I love about this text, he had friends in his life who helped him get exactly where he needed to be. And so I want to challenge you to see a couple of things in this text. And here's the very first one. I want you to see an eager expectation. All right, with these men, those who were gathered, there was an eager expectation. Let's go back to our text in verse 1. It says, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing a paralytic, a man paralyzed, couldn't walk, and he was carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, because of the size of the crowd, because of all the people gathered, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. So you remember at the end of chapter one, after Jesus truly changes places with the leper. The leper was on the outside, got healed, and now he's on the inside, and Jesus on the inside is now on the outside. We're seeing that theology of substitution. After he changes places with the leper, he returns. He returns from the wilderness, and what is he doing? He's preaching to another sold-out crowd, right? It's big time. They can't wait. They can't get enough. They're here. They're gathering. They're at the house. They're at the door. They're overflowing. There's no more room. There, there's a huge crowd gathered, and everyone's just trying to listen. They're trying to hear. They're trying to watch what Jesus will do next. In the standing room only, and in the middle of him preaching the word of God to repent and believe, 
the roof falls in. All right, the roof literally falls in. Four men showed up with a friend who couldn't walk. Four men found a crowd that made it impossible for them to get access physically to Jesus. But these four men were so determined that Jesus was the only one who could help their friend, they did whatever it took to have their friend meet Jesus. Right? They did whatever it took to have their friend, to see their friend meet Jesus. But notice who's not bringing their friends to Christ. Notice who's just sitting there in judgment, just sitting there pondering questions in their heart. The religious leaders, they're just sitting there. These people are too religious to be evangelists. All right, they're too religious to see their own need for sin, let alone see someone else's need for sin. And so they sit there like, whoa, 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 what is this? Right? How in the world can you say that? Like, you can't do that. That's not how we operate. That's not how we do. So the religious elite are just sitting there playing spiritual and not doing anything to pursue sinners. Right? They play spiritual, but they do not pursue sinners to come to Christ. And so I would challenge you to examine yourself in this. When you are here, who often are you most identified with? Are you just sitting here in judgment, looking at others, or are you getting busy bringing people to Christ? These men don't save their friend. They bring him to the one who can save their friend, right? It's not them. God uses them to draw this man to himself because those who bring the damage to Jesus will never be disappointed. Those who bring the disabled and the damage to Jesus will never be disappointed. These men had a friend in need. They heard Jesus could heal people like their friend, and they wanted to see their friend walk. That's all they want. They want to see their friend walk. And it was faith that was visible. It was faith that was active. It was faith that didn't just talk about it. It was faith that actually walked about it. In fact, it was their faith, again, that brought about this man's salvation. Because in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. All right, I don't want you to miss that. that. Don't miss that Jesus actually saw their faith. It was faith in action. It was faith that you could see. Because for the believer, faith means like living. God is telling the truth. That's how we walk by faith. We live like God's word tells us the truth. And so Jesus sees them come. He, he sees the roof fall down. He sees a man being slowly lowered down to his feet. And don't miss it was their faith. All right, we can wonder, well, who had the faith? Because only the paralytic man are we sure they got saved that day. So who had the faith, the man or his friends? But the word of God says there. So those four included, they have some level, some measure of faith because it's not about who, it's about Jesus, the one being able to answer their faith. And so the man had enough faith to say, hey, I trust you guys to lower me down from a roof. I trust some of y'all to do that, but I don't trust all of y'all to do that, right? I mean, you think about that, you're going to lower me down from this roof. I know it ain't that high in the word, but in this high of a roof, that's a lot of faith to trust some four friends, right? That you're not going to drop me and make it worse. But we see he had faith to trust his friends. He had faith to carry him. He had faith for them to lower him. And these friends had enough faith to go to all the trouble of carrying their friend through town. Say, hey, man, we're going to get you to Jesus today. They had enough faith to even fight through the crowds. And what a determining factor that is because most of us would turn around and be like, well, not today. I guess we'll come back tomorrow. Maybe we'll try a later time. This is pretty inconvenient for me. I've got stuff to do. I don't know if I can waste my time trying to get through this crowd. Then they had enough faith not only to fight through the crowd, but to dig a hole in the roof. I mean, that's, that's spending some more time like, all right, I guess we'll just start digging a hole in this roof that's not ours, right? I mean, this is not their home, but they're digging a hole in the roof. And then they carefully lower their friend to Jesus. 
I want you to see a principle of application right here is that we should all be motivated to see people meet Jesus. We should all be motivated to see people meet Jesus. And the second thing about it is that we should all be willing to do whatever it takes to make sure it happens. Do whatever it takes to make sure we see it happen. For these men, their motivation was that their friend would walk. That, that was the basis of their faith. We know this Jesus can heal our friend and our friend can walk. And all they knew was who to take him to. Right? They didn't know anything else. They just said, take him to Jesus. We can't fix him. We can't heal him. We can't do anything for him. Let's take him to the one who can because Jesus is always the destination. Right? It's not about getting people to a church. It's not about people getting into a class. It's about bringing people to Christ. Right? We don't just get them involved. We want to see them changed by the work of salvation because on this way to Jesus, on this determination to find their friend in the arms in the healing of Jesus, what do we run into? We run into a lot of obstacles and opposition. Right? They're coming, they're determined, but they keep running into problems. And I want to challenge you, whenever you are determined to live the life that Christ has called you to live by faith, you will run into obstacles. You will run into opposition because these friends run into a lot of opposition. Things tend to get in the way because you have to think, who is actively working against you walking by faith? Satan. And he comes to steal, kill, destroy. There's nothing in your life. When you try to walk by faith, when you're trying to walk in obedience, spiritual activity brings about spiritual activity. Right? There's an active enemy, an active force of spiritual war that is fighting right now for you to not live the life that Christ has called you to live, to not choose to live by faith, all right? but to live by self. And so when these friends or these men try to bring their friend to Jesus, they can't get in. It's too crowded, there's too many people, and it's not going to work. And if we're honest, this is where most of us give up. Nope, all right, we tried. God, you know my heart, I tried. All right, God, you know that I had pure motives, but God, it just didn't work today. We start making excuses. God, shut the door. God didn't make a way for me to walk by faith, and so it's a sign that I'm not supposed to do this. It's a sign that I'm not supposed to be determined. A closed door is God's way of telling me to give up. But the reality is we don't like closed doors because we don't like living by faith. Isn't that true? Right? We don't like opposition. We don't like obstacles because we don't want to live by faith. We want to live by control. Right? That's the tendency that we have. But what I want to challenge you is we want open doors and easy paths, but can you imagine if the people in the Word of God only walked through open doors and easy paths? Would David have slain Goliath? Right? Would Paul have gone across that known world at the time to share the gospel and plant churches? What we see here is sometimes when there's a closed door, you need to dig a hole in the roof. Sometimes when there's a closed door, you need to find a way to do whatever it takes to dig a hole in the roof and get you yourself, those in your care, to get those around you, to get yourself and everyone else to the feet of Jesus Christ. And so we see this eager expectation of what only Jesus can do. And then the second thing that we see and we experience is an extraordinary encounter. All right, extraordinary encounter. Let's go back to the word. It says in verse 5, And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic son, your sins, they are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. We shouldn't be surprised at all by the reaction of the scribes. Now, we were not surprised by the reaction. And here's the second thing about it. They were absolutely right. Who can forgive sins but God? They were right. They were dead on. No one can forgive sins but God. And so he is either God or he is a blasphemer, right? That's the only two options on the table. And so only God forgives sins. And Jesus, he's either guilty of blasphemy in his declaration of deity unless he is actually God himself. All right, don't miss that. He is making it clear. I am God. I am who I am. And so we see here, it, Jesus proves that. He, he knows what they're thinking. He confronts them with a challenge. Hey, what's easier, guys? To declare someone forgiven or to make the unwalkable walk? Well, what's easier for you? And if it's us, neither one is easier, right? We can't do either one of those things. I cannot. I can't forgive another person's sins before God. I don't have that authority. I can forgive your sins against me but I cannot forgive your sins against God. I cannot do that. I don't have any authority to forgive your sins before God. And I can't, at this point, I can't make a lame man walk right now. What we see here is the whole point is only Jesus can. He's the only one in that room who can. And to prove his power to do what we cannot see, he does something that everyone can see. Right? To say, hey, to show you what I can do, I'm going to show you what you cannot see by showing you what you can see. And we see that this man, he is both forgiven and is also fully healed. He is fully made able to walk, and he walks out of there by faith. But I want you to see in this text what they brought the man one thing. We see Jesus do the only thing that matters. Jesus always meets the greater need. Now, don't miss that. Jesus always meets the greater need. These guys just thought their friend needed to walk. Hey, we, we got, you know, Bubba here, and, and Bubba needs to walk. Let's take Bubba to Jesus, and let's see what happens. They thought the external circumstance was his greatest need. But before Jesus, notice this, before he ever dresses the man's legs, he addresses his lostness. Right? Don't, don't miss that. The order here is so important. Because when he said to the pair, like he saw their faith, did he heal him? He saw their faith and said, son, your sins are forgiven, right? He doesn't say, get up and walk yet. He forgives him. Before he addresses his legs, he addresses his lostness, right? He, he is focusing not about the, the shame. He is focusing on his soul, right? Because being able to walk will never benefit a man who will only walk straight into hell, right? What's the point of healing this man if he's only going to walk in lostness, and so he starts with the greater need, the most important need, the need they weren't even thinking about. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Before I change your circumstance, I'm going to change your spiritual condition. Before I change your disability, I'm going to heal you of your depravity. This man and this, these men came for an everyday need, but Jesus says, I'm going to meet your eternal need, right? He does that right there on the spot to show them that we don't need the healing, we need the healer. It's all about Christ. It's all about repentance. It's all about coming in faith. The greatest need that all of us have in this room today, I want to challenge you again. You and I all need spiritual forgiveness to escape the wrath of God poured out on sin. 
The greatest need you have here today is not a circumstantial change. The greatest need you have here today is not to repair or fix your marriage. The greatest need you have today is not somehow to figure out to get out of that impossible situation. The greatest need that every single one of us have in this room is to have spiritual forgiveness for the wrath of God that is poured out against sin. And if we don't have that, we're lost. And we're bound of a hell that we deserve because we have separated ourselves from God. See, the gospel is such good news because while God is holy, while God is perfect, what you and I have is made for relationship with him, but you and I, because of our sin, have separated ourselves from him. Right? You and I have chose to willingly rebel and resist and reject relationship with God. And when we do, we are sitting here lost and broken, just like this man, disabled. Right? We're, we're looking for answers. We're trying to find everything. And who knows what this backstory of this man is. But no doubt when you and I are stuck in situations, we're trying to find a way out. God, or, or not God yet, but who in the world can fix my situation? And so what we have here in this lostness is the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And when we know the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, you and I can repent. We can believe and we can trust that Jesus is the solution. He's the answer. And when we come by faith, we will be fully reconciled, restored, redeemed, and made right with the Father. That's salvation. That's the good news is that sinners can be saved. Because we don't need behavior modification. We need soul transformation. Right? You can't modify your behavior into heaven. You've got to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ by believing and receiving in repentance the good news that he came to save you. And so if you're here this morning, you're like, I've got to figure out my spouse. I've got to figure out my job. I've got to figure out my kids. I've got to figure out my parents. Hey, it's not those things. It's not those things. Just like this man, your greatest need is to be fully freely, forever forgiven of your sin. And then he'll take care of the rest. Right? Then, after the lostness, now it's the legs. Now he says, right, now that I've got you, now I can work in you. Right? Now that I've got you in my hands, now that I've saved you, now that I've brought you in and I've, I've, I've forgiven you, now I can work in you and I can work through you. But it starts with this. And so sometimes we tend to get it backwards, right? We want all the things to be fixed and then we'll come to Christ. And Christ says, no, you come to me and then I'll fix all these things. And so we see the transformation that comes is when we come to Christ, not just wanting one thing, but always desiring the best thing, relationship, forgiveness healing in our hearts, healing in our soul, and then watching the Lord's healing flow through the rest of our lives. It's an amazing miracle, right? Amazing miracle. This man came for one need, but got the only need that he really had was salvation. Jesus says, you're forgiven. Go walk in new life, right? That's what he said. Go walk. Go home. He's saying, you've forgiven. You've been changed. Now go walk in newness of life. Just what we say when we baptize. But I want to challenge you with this thought. That's a mighty miracle, but something else extraordinary stands out to me. Everyone there gathered watched Jesus forgive a man of his sin. Watched Jesus forgive a man of his shame. And not a single one of them asked for the same for them. They sat there. They just watched. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And I don't want you to miss what Christ is inviting you into. If you're missing it right now, Jesus came to save you. And it's not just eight people that have that chance. He is 
following you. He is calling you. He is challenging you. And you're thinking, I'm not able. I'm not one who can. He desires that all would come to repentance, right? He desires you to come. He is a God who, yes, he pours out his wrath against sin, but in the same breath, he also saves the sinner, right? It's an amazing miracle of salvation that he would call you to come by faith, to come by belief, but by coming in repentance. But you have to come. You have to come. Because here's what I want you to see here, is that when you take hold of Jesus, you can be free from what's been holding you. When you take hold of Christ, you can be set free from what's been holding you. And so what is your mat? What's holding you right now? Is it addiction? Is it a a sin, a secret shame that you have in your life? What is holding you? What is the one thing that you feel is holding you that has ownership over you, that has lordship over you, that you feel held hostage by? What is the one thing in your life like, this is my mat. This is what I'm stuck on. I'm paralyzed, and I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to change it. And so when you take hold of Jesus by faith, when you come to Christ by faith, you can let go of what's been holding you, no matter what it is. And again, you can walk out different than you walked in. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.